I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. TF3, good. Three, good. TF... Happy New Year from the front three. It's good to have you guys and uh, joining us to just discuss everything that's happening in the new year, going to happen in the new year, etc., etc. Chris Hennage, live from Newcastle. Chris, good to have you. Good to be here. Uh, Good to be had as well. And also, uh, Nico Morales, all the way from the States. How you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Uh, How did you guys, did you guys do anything exceptional for New Year's? I wouldn't say exceptional, just hung out with uh, some friends and uh, rang in the new year uh, in a fun way. What did you do? Did you buy a Coutinho shirt at midnight or something? No, I, I'm, I don't think I, I'm not really a Barcelona kit kind of guy. Um, but uh, no, we just uh, popped some champagne, had a few drinks, you know, the usual. Did you, did you actually pop champagne? Was it Prosecco? Uh, I believe it was like six bucks. So it probably wasn't champagne, but Good point. it was some yeah. sort of sparkling drink. So, you know, is what it is. Six bucks. Wow. We're not all rolling in the checks like you, you know. Uh, that's, 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 uh, that's true. Um, Chris, what about you? What did you do for the new year? <laughs> uh, I saw it with my old man. Which that's, is not that even like, as my promise. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's Bottle just, of wine, and then you did what, Chris? Uh, <laughs> so. I, I had a beer and, uh, yeah, saw, saw it in, in a very understated way. Because I, I've, unfortunately, as, as many of our listeners probably have guessed, the um, with the football not stopping, there's always stuff to be done, even around uh, New Year's. So it's, it's, uh, it's not always a chance to, to kick off, unfortunately. As I think Copper 90 said for a while, football never sleeps. Um, it yes. was interesting because also I, yeah, I think I was part of the team at that point And I remember making a joke, which they didn't like at the time, which was, does football wake up? Um, <laughs> didn't go down well in the meeting. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, so uh, let's get down to it. How is football faring uh, in between all the times it does wake up and go to sleep? Well, uh, there are some more games that finish on January 1st as we record this. Uh, let us know using hashtag I am the whole. Uh, I'd like to uh, start, Chris, with the brand new Newcastle. New year, new you, right? 1-0 Stoke against them. You got it. Iosi Perez scores 73rd minute. Um, you excited 
for the new Rafa Benitez because all the Newcastle fans seem to be ripping into him for not attacking enough. Um, it was a really good performance. Uh, I think if, if that goal doesn't come, then you are really sort of um, really kind of pulling your hair out because they had some really good chances in the first half with Kieran Clark. Um, they had what looked a, a really solid penalty appeal to them down as well. Um, and I think this is the the thing about this team is that they perform so much better away from home. I think because there's almost a little bit less expectation placed on them. And I think they can exact their preferred style of play much easier because usually the team they're facing has to come on and, and try and face them. Um, I think that's why you see them take the lead early at Old Trafford at uh, Stamford Bridge and, and even, you know, in the case of today, it gets them a win. It, the say, it felt very similar to me to, to the game against Swansea where it's, it's a late goal that undoes them. The only difference, I think, is that actually they had a fair few chances um, prior to that, as I said, and, and really could have been probably one or two goals up um, heading into half-time. But I think for Stoke, it's... It's it's just a bizarre performance. Like there's there's no other way to characterize it because you know Hughes himself said he, he made changes for the Chelsea game with this one in mind, and they just didn't seem to show up. The players didn't seem motivated almost to to rely on intangibles for a second. The, there wasn't much zip or, or vim to the way they attacked, um, and and the chances they did produce, Chupamoting, Biram Juf, were from really direct. Uh, moments and and weren't necessarily a case of a fluid build-up and I think that's possibly a little bit of a a hint at what what is wrong with Stoke is that they're currently relying on Peter Crouch at 37-38 to be uh, a huge influence in the final third. Could it be the case, Chris, with Stoke as well that sometimes, I know the old phrase, change is as good as a rest you can almost, you can apply that in a similar way to a manager, can't you? You know, a change is as good as a a rest in the off season, maybe for some of these players, because the, the the some of the philosophy gets changed, things change up a bit in training. Maybe your you know your body reacts differently to that. I, uh, they talk about the new manager bump or whatever it is, but uh, all I'm saying over in the long term has Mark you sort of run his course. I think to a certain certain degree. I mean, the, the thing was, I, I, I'm sure there are Stoke fans out there who will, while not maybe overly fond of Hughes, will say, actually, you know what, they had some good chances that, that called all those stops. And I agree with that. He made some miraculous saves in that game. And, and you know, you could argue, but for better finishing, Stoke might have been one or two up um, heading into the 60th minute. I think what strikes me most is that someone like Shakiri who to me, is is a huge influence. Just looked so disinterested. He didn't seem to have much of a, a fight about them. In fact, there was an instance in the second half where the balls played long. And look, it's nowhere near him, but you would expect him to chase and give Javi Manquillo something to think about, at least. And he just completely gives up on it, just doesn't even bother. And the, the fans sort of start to boo, and I can completely understand why they would do that. Um, because it would be frustrating to me as a supporter watching. And I think then he brings on Duf, who, credit to him, had, I'm trying to think, two very good chances, in fact. One that was sort of a, a side volley, another that was a header from about three yards out. And 
again, it's one of those things where perhaps you sit there and say, well, it's it's luck that's that's deserting them. But I think for them against a side like Newcastle, who don't really offer a huge forward, are good defensively, but not impenetrable. Um, I think Stoke should have expected more. And the fact that, again, you're looking at a lot of those players and, and not seeing much, that to me paints a picture of a team that look, on the whole, I would say quite disinterested in, in what they're doing, which seems to, to speak volumes of the problems with Hughes for me. Yeah, Nico, I mean, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Uh, it Hughes is also playing not particularly exciting football right now. Yeah, and I mean, I, th- I think a lot of what Chris said there is is spot on. And as you sort of go further down the table, there's more and more of an influence on factors, maybe like um, the intangibles that some people talk about than there is on the top six, um, just because of an element of professionalism and, and the quality of player. But I think the thing that I probably most underline about Stoke, and I, I, I think we need to have Elliot Hackney on to, to talk a little bit about Stoke as well. Maybe we'll get him on soon enough, but... Is that he seems to be? He seems sometimes he seems to be playing a system that he like. He's had various experiments with three four three and three five two and different systems with uh, different types of defenders at the back and using someone like Mamdé Diouf as a as a wing back. He seems to be playing those systems for the sake of playing them. He doesn't have that much of a grasp as to what they're supposed to do or what specific players in those roles are supposed to do. And I think when you're a manager and you start going down that path, it kind of reeks of desperation. And I don't. I think that's that's really part of really the main thing for this uh, downturn in, in Stoke form is that he's sort of run out of ideas and he doesn't know how to use players in the best kind of situations. And that's what you're getting with this team is that there's a lot of lack of understanding as what you're supposed to do. Players often talk about the confidence that they feel when a manager gives them a level of instruction. If you go out on the pitch and you're in a free-flowing football situation and you're given instructions as to what do and what to do in a number of situations then you can feel confident in your ability to affect the game if you have no idea what you're supposed to do because your manager probably doesn't know either then i don't understand how those players can be expected to perform and i think like the goal the the goal that they were showing on, on the highlight reel today um you know the miscommunication between kurt zuma and, and kevin vimmers is a problem I'm an example of that. I think there, there, there's, there have been a number of teams this season that have been able to expose um, that back line, not because the players are of a bad quality, but because they haven't been given the proper instruction as to what to do in a lot of these situations. Mm-hmm. That is part of the problem. Is it does? I mean, Hughes stormed out of his press conference today. He asked a, a journalist in a very aggressive way, uh, "What would you have done?" Uh, I don't think that the journalist's um, three-hour answer helped. No. Um, but he did storm out. Of Journalists the, hate getting that hate getting that question asked to them, don't they? they yeah, it yeah. always seems uh, to come back. To them. Yeah, I think the journalist said, "I'll refer you to my pinned tweet on my profile, Mark." Um, and it, it, yeah, I mean, it was just a very adversarial sort of uh, post-match press conference. Which I, I got to be honest, I don't understand why managers can't understand when journalists are laying into them a little bit or sort of challenging them. These guys are all very well paid. Uh, high, uh, granted high pressure but better paid than the Prime Minister of England they are managing teams that are beloved a journalist's job is to sort of probe a little bit or at least those journalists job is to probe a little bit and I guess that's part of the problem as well is that there's journalists now these, I guess there's, there's less of that um, uh, probing I mean Chris has been in many more press conferences than I have but I think sometimes 
journalists almost have a go at each other when they ask a difficult question or a question that they can't just easily put in some copy. Um, and then Mark Hughes still Hughes, Hughes is, is notoriously um, angry, abrasive, I would say, in press conferences. He's he. I, I think I may have told this story before, so apologies if I have. Um, I remember once on a boxing day fixture, I think it was, at Newcastle, his Stoke side had two men sent off. Um, and there was an air of um, controversy about one of the dismissals. Um, and they got beat 5-1, I think, in the end. Actually, they went 1-0 up and were the better side for, for large portions and then lost two men. And the first question in the press conference was, bad day at the office, which, again, is quite, you know, you could argue generic and, and vague. And I remember you staring a hole through the guy that asked it yeah. and, and going on a tirade about the, the quality of officiating. And I think, really, the whenever I've been in a press conference with him, honestly, the vibe I get is, is sort of that Gordon Strachan type who mm-hmm. is, is, is very much, you know, against the Arrigo Saki mentality. You don't have to be a horse to be a jockey. I think he's the other way. I think he believes that he has some uh, new expertise that, that a lot of journalists simply don't because they haven't played to a high level which I don't think is, is a terrible argument I think certainly there are people who sit in those press conferences that know very little um, you know it's it's not as I always say it's not like plumbing or uh, being an electrician where you can really get a certificate of quality when it comes to, to football because it's such an interminable uh, situation in, in a variety of different ways and I think so you can win the Premier for League. Hughes, yeah, well, of course. I, th- I think the, for Hughes, the frustration comes from the fact that listening to the question and, and actually, I don't think he stormed out personally. I think he just decided to to end it in a very abrupt way. Yeah, um, today, yeah, right. it was it was Bill that he'd stormed out by Sky, but really, I watched it and I don't think he stormed out. I think he answered the question and thought, right, I'm done here. So we just left. Um, uh, yeah, so even on the headline on the Guardian is Hughes storms out of press conference after loss to Newcastle. I'm only going on that. Um, perhaps headline. it's not polite, um, but at the same time, I think for him the, the the obvious talking point in this press conference was um, he rested players against Chelsea. They lost that game five nil. He, in the wake of that game, said, you know what, I rested players specifically so I could have freshness against Newcastle in a game which I believe we will win. So he kind of, you know, he set himself up a little bit there. He spoke confidently, which is kind of what I expect from someone like Hughes um, with the career that he's had, as at least as a player. And the problem is, he, you know, that backfired. Mm. Now, to, to my mind, I'm almost sure Benitez did a sort of similar thing against Man City, made a lot of changes and then swapped them back in for Brighton and got a draw, which is not ideal. I don't remember him saying specifically that he thought they would win that game against Brighton because it does put a little bit of a target on your back if you don't win. And the problem is, is that the performance that they produced Stoke, was so lacking in, in sort of... Again, I, I don't like to reduce it to intangibles because I know people want sort of insight that they can track almost. But it didn't seem like a team that were pushing constantly. They created some good chances, no doubt about that. But their general play just lacked that extra couple of 
seconds of pace to it. It was a little bit slow. It was tedious. It was silly mistakes. It seems a little like it lacks what Mark Hughes actually wants, which is that sort of passion and verve that, uh, you know, he will have felt he played with or he will have felt. And I guess if you don't inspire that in the crowd and you don't inspire that in the players and that's what you want, you're not achieving that as a manager. And I I guess also part of the problem is he also said Benitez made uh, a lot of changes why aren't you asking him the same questions? And the journalist's answer naturally is going to be, well, he won the game. And at the same time, Benitez mm-hmm. hasn't spent in maybe a net way. I, don't, I you know, I've not got the direct comparison numbers here, but he hasn't spent uh, the amount of time or money that you've spent at the club. He hasn't been an established Premier League side. He hasn't taken over a team that wanted to push on to the next level, etc., etc., etc. And Mark, it's a lot of what it, his comments are all seem to be desperate trying to buy time for himself rather than him saying look I know I'm a manager under pressure and almost acknowledging the situation yeah I I think for him he perhaps looks at that as if I acknowledge that there is pressure then that only puts more pressure on I'm not sure if I would subscribe to that personally but that's how I interpret it from from his point of view that his yeah. his stubbornness is is present, presenting itself more here. I think you know you make a totally valid point there in that Benitez again makes a lot of changes here. He, he drops Gale and Hosolu, which I have to confess I was very surprised at because they're your two starting strikers and you're going with Perez up front who isn't really a recognised forward. Um, and yet that was really for my money, the only chance that Perez was able to, to find himself on the end of all game and he finishes it perfectly. Um, I think the the problem that um, that Stoke have is if even if you look at the goal, it's a terrible pass from Charlie Adam and then he can't make the recovery run to catch Murphy. So it's, it's very much a self-inflicted wound for Stoke and they have spent a good portion of money. It's it's not just Saito Berahino that, that jumps out. It's Gianni and Bula as well. Um, Kevin Wimmer for for eighteen million. I know Elliot um, Elliot Hackney, who's a, a good friend of ours, made the joke that essentially Stoke. It's it's deals like that where you stop it and say, okay, hang on, this is not a club progressing. This is a club regressing at a drastic rate. Um, and I think he can sit and ignore that there's any concern now, but his win percentage has dropped below his, his three predecessors. Um, mm. So that's, that's bad. That that to me says a lot. Yeah, hundred percent. That says a lot. Uh, Nico, let's let's move on. I mean, uh, by the way, Chris, is Newcastle takeover still on? Yeah, it, it's it's just moving at a pace that is so frighteningly slow. <laughs> Okay. But I mean, still, it's not stopped. That's all you need. That's all you need to yes, that's, that's the positive. It's not uh, stopped. It's still going. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll take solace from that. Uh, now, Nico, let's move on a little bit. Uh, Manchester United uh, today, as we record this, won 2-0. Uh, and uh, people are impressed with their victory over Everton with uh, Jess Lingard getting one of the goals and Anthony Martial getting the other. Uh, your assessment of this United team and the difficulties that they've had, because obviously the results uh, before the result before that was a less than inspiring draw against Southampton at Old Trafford. Yeah, I mean, I think we uh, on this podcast podcast we looked at 
the different um, festive schedules and, and decided that Manchester United probably had the most difficult one. Um, and they obviously suffered because of that. And obviously, I think before this came, it would have been four draws in a row had they not gotten this result. So, you know, it, it's been a tough time. I think people like to pile on Mourinho, but uh, it was an interesting thing that I was sort of thinking about um, after I was uh, still watching, still had the TV on after the game on NBCSN, and they sort of mentioned that, uh, you know, they felt maybe... Uh, Lukaku's absence in, in today's game paved the way for you know the success of someone like Jesse, Jesse Lingard or Anthony Martial on the field. And it sort of got me thinking about the way that, that Mourinho kind of likes to line up his teams and how he has very set roles and you know a striker and a winger and how they like to attack teams and just the general narrative of Manchester United um, over the past couple of games. And I think that that's kind of where Mourinho fails to escape the criticism for me. Because I think... What we've seen, especially uh, from an analytical perspective, is that, in my opinion, I think Jose Mourinho has consciously given up an element of defensive solidity for the sake of having more on the attack. And if that's if that's your answer to creating more chances for your team to score, then, first of all, I don't think that's very sustainable, and I don't think that's very inventive. And to go along with the point of how he likes to set his team up, I think if you look at Manchester City, there's like five attacking options as to how they generally like to to go forward and how they like to disassemble teams with their positioning. And there's so many different ways and there's a an element of flexibility that is demanded both from the manager and, and from the system. And I think with this element of rigidity that, that Mourinho likes to stay consistent with with his teams, you know, he's a striker, he has a winger, he has a certain amount of central midfielders and what roles they play. There is only so much that they can expect to do, um, given good form or bad form. And I think that, at the end of the day, is my biggest criticism of Mourinho, is not the fact that you know he's constantly calling out and saying that he hasn't had the funds that Pep Guardiola has had, he doesn't have this or he doesn't have that. It's just the fact that he doesn't seem to have evolved his style of football to a certain point that is you know deemed successful for Manchester United at this point they're by no stretch of the imagination a bad team they're in third in the Premier League they were second you know a couple days ago and and they'll be amongst that fight and they'll probably finish second Um, but I think that's not where Manchester United as a club and that's not where the fans sign on the dotted line at the beginning of the season they sign on the dotted line and say we want to compete for the title we want to compete with this Manchester City team and I don't think it's that much of a shock as to how this Manchester City team is performing it's just more of a shock as to how Mourinho isn't keeping up with it very unusual one um and he doesn't seem to be dealing too well with it right now uh we'll, I'm sure you can go over to Statman Dave's channel at some point I say soon rather than later uh Dave's had his bins burned again and his internet's gone Dave. Um, on a lighter note, I do think Jesse Lingard's done well under uh, Mourinho. He seems to have graduated from that sort of bit part player that you could see maybe being linked with a move away every summer to someone that's actually quite a, a consistent performer. He went from being a, a potential West Ham player of the future, Chris, to being someone that United fans want to keep. Yeah, that's that's not a terrible way to characterise it. That kind of player that joins you know, West Ham or Sunderland or something like that in a in a deal that um, that doesn't cost a terrible amount, but yeah, I think I think not only has he done really well, but he seems to be relishing the responsibility and the pressure of things. Um, you look at his goal return and things like that. It's it's something that 
I would say puts him on the edge of, of the England team, um, at least within the conversation. I'm, I'm not sure where he fits into um, Gareth Southgate's plans, but I would be curious to see him used in those friendlies up until the tournament to see if they can't find a spot for him. Seems like a cool character. He seems like an interesting character. I'd be interested to know what um, Jess Lingard's like in real life because I've never, I've just never, I've never seen his character. And yet I've seen him Millie Rock so many times. Um, speaking of players that went to West Ham and then it was ultimately really disappointing, uh, Chris, uh, let's talk for a second about uh, West Ham, what's going on there, because Karen Brady's made some more really interesting comments very recently. Um, about well, a couple of players, but one uh, in particular is now left and is at Aston Villa. Yes, she has described uh, Robert Snodgrass's transfer from Hull to West Ham as not a triumph. Um, it's a really bizarre way to, to sort of characterise um, the situation because she said, you know, there's a few foreign players that uh, fans could probably pick out as well, which... I think, yeah, with, without much detective work, we can all discover who she's on about. But to single him out, I think, seems a bit harsh. And it's not the first time that he's he's been um, discussed in this in these kind of terms by West Ham's owners. And, and I'm not sure what he's necessarily done to deserve that, because granted, he, he wasn't as good as maybe they expected or they hoped, but... but in theory, all he was given was was six months from from January to, to sort things out, and it can it can take you know a, a little bit of time for a player to settle in a new club. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry, Nico, for uh, what Snowgrass is going through with uh, West Ham because it seems as if consistently West Ham, when they're in the media, you know, it'd be uh, David uh, Sullivan or Gold, I can't remember, made the comments, uh, and a couple of other people speaking about Snowgrass just seem to be really down on it. Um, and I've never seen people be so disrespectful from a management level towards a player unless the player's done something terrible, which seems a lot more public. Yeah, and I think you were talking about this pre-record. He must have pissed somebody off or had a negative relationship with somebody at West Ham because, as you're saying, it's relatively uncharacteristic that someone is this you know, negative towards a former player. And I mean, yeah, I think some of the things that they said about Snodgrass are obvious and you know things that, uh, I guess reveal a certain degree of transparency as you guys were talking about with this you know with the level of um comfort that someone that 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 is that close to the club feels in talking about these matters but i i I don't think it looks particularly good for west ham to be talking about former players in that way and i think as even chris said um before we started recording that has to have some effect on some future West Ham players. You know, how do they treat the, the, the people that have played for them? How do they treat the, the people that play for them then? And right now, I, I just don't think that is the right move for, for them to be making in terms of how they how they treat anyone. Yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, it's uh, I'd be interested to see how people treat uh, Felipe Coutinho, Chris. He's certainly going to be an interesting one. Uh, it's, it's not looking good at the moment for Liverpool as we move on to them. Uh, Nike, of course, Nike, I don't know what you want to call them, uh, had a website leak, if that's what we want to call it. I don't quite know how it works with websites, uh, where they said Coutinho is wearing his Barcelona shirt. He might be. Maybe clearly, just... clearly it must be. Clearly, clearly, that must have been very deliberate. But 
From which side? Because actually, Nico, I guess what made me a little bit uncomfortable about the whole thing is, as a Liverpool fan, I've come to accept Coutinho is leaving. At one mm-hmm. point, I thought, you know, could it could it be that you know if they sign the right players and you you know they he's been so uh, he's been so positive about the club in the past, sign new contract. Could we convince him to stay? No, you idiot. Why would you think that? It, it, now he's going, that's fine. But I guess as Liverpool Football Club, what they want them want to do is save as much face as possible or try and sort of make it as a uh, easier parting, right? Barcelona right. are almost doing everything in their power to make that not possible, right? And I guess yeah. the line that is crossed in some way is Liverpool still want to sell shirts this season and they want to be able to maximise the amount of revenue they can make. And the way you would do that is by having a very successful team and by having a team that attracts people to watch and you feel it's something you can invest in. Now, that's not a lie if you uh, say, look, you can invest in this team and this season Coutinho is going to give his everything. Barcelona seem intent on deconstructing that mainly for their own political gain because they're worried about their own destabilization. Maybe the presidency is worried, but you know, it doesn't seem like they have enough uh, top players signed at the moment You know, because Dembele is whatever or... Is it disrespectful then at that point to try and destabilize another club when you know that that club will sell to you at some point anyway? I think it's all a business move for them. And I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about the level of power um, that these shoe brands have over players' moves. And this is you know, something we've had a conversation about before. But I also think, as you're mentioning there, Barcelona seem intent on making sure that there's an element of destabilization with the Philippe Coutinho transfer. And I think the the management or rather business uh, purpose that 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 does serve is that people are talking about, well, you know, if they can keep Coutinho throughout the, the January window and stop any moves from happening, you know, outside of that, it's not just as easy as we keep this element or this this, you know, useful entity, and then he continues to perform for us. These people are, you know, these players are people. They're exactly what I said. They're, these people are people. So if a player is unhappy, then he's not going to perform to the same level that, you know, he might have before. And I think but, the but, more but that Nico, Barcelona can is, push... Is that, yeah, and, and I agree and I agree with that. But well, Barcelona I, I guess can the, push the point that, that I was trying to make was... That, well, yeah, but I, I guess the, the point that I was trying to make was the more that they can... De- stabilize that situation the more he'll want to leave and the, the the more negotiation they have in terms of the price because Liverpool don't want to keep a player that can't literally cannot keep a player who doesn't want to be there um, and well, they, no, they I don't quite literally they'll, they'll can be though, but that's that's part they of the can't, point actually but you, you know what I'm saying but um, if, I, I, like, I, agree, for I agree example with Dembele Dembele during the summer they they push for that move they um, when you know, if people want to go back and listen to the, inter- the several interviews we've had with uh, Stefan Bushko, he talked about it a little bit more in depth. But they pushed through that. Um, they encouraged him to do certain things that were, you know, what many people would consider to be nefarious in in, in regards to Borussia Dortmund. And while they probably didn't receive a, a lower price tag um, to our eyes, it, it might have been even more if it was, you know, a player who maybe wasn't that keen on moving in the first place or didn't care either way about it as opposed to one that was vying for the move and not going to training and doing all these things. So I think it is, as you're saying, a political move. It's a, it's a business move. It's something that they would seek to benefit off of. And I think that's where the motivation for these actions lie. And I guess that, that's what I sort of find difficult because actually uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I guess Chris is part of the answer there. 
Barcelona don't have to do this. It does feel somewhat inevitable that Coutinho is going to leave. But what it does seem like Liverpool asked of him was, we want one more season from you until, you know, we can get Naby Keita or we can do this or do that. Because actually, I think a lot of people acknowledged it seemed like not a complete surprise that he wanted to leave, but that Liverpool had sort of thought, right, he'll leave next summer, not this summer. And so it seemed like a reasonable agreement at that point. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is it then? I guess then it looks disrespectful from Barcelona. And, and I'm, I'm, I understand Liverpool. It also makes me uncomfortable that Liverpool have been so grossly disrespectful at one point, probably if every club has not been grossly disrespectful at some point in that everyone sort of talks about tapping up or sounding out a player, you need to know whether you want to transfer a player beforehand anyway. There's no point in going through the whole rigmarole if then the player says, well, I don't want to come. Why are you even approaching me? That's part of the problem is with Van Dijk, Liverpool did something, but then they also completely apologised. But then they got their man. So, you know, it was that unsettling a player. It seems as if Barcelona are intent on damaging Liverpool's reputation by enhancing their own. And that's what annoyed me a little bit because no one, you know, I know shirt sales aren't going to be massive in January for any player, but at least let Liverpool use the entity that they have right now and respect that they have that right now until the time when you then own the player. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's, the problem is it's, it's, increasingly rife I would say in, in football that that element of, of almost blurring the lines between tapping up and, and being aggressive in your approach of a, a player um, to, to me at least I think that once a player has had their head turned in that way it's very difficult to keep them we saw obviously Southampton persist with Van Dijk and get an extra 25 million off the back of it so I, th- I think ultimately um, the, the people who are decision makers at um, at uh, Liverpool they, they've tried to keep him on board as as much as possible. And in fairness, his performance levels haven't dropped either, which I think is key. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd be inclined to say that now is the time to to push him pushing forward though because I think they will get more than they were going to get in the summer they, they potentially earn I think around 180 million which you can invest that so many amazing ways these days and it seems as if Liverpool's uh, recruitment uh, arm 
has a pretty decent nose for players. Um, Van Dijk could make me look very stupid in the next few months. But you look at the fact that Kate has been able to be agreed for the price that it has. Salah for 35 million. They've done some very shrewd deals. Um, and 185 million could do a lot of positive work, I think, for Liverpool. Mm, but so. then, but then people know you have that money, and that's the difficulty within the market. And that I think maybe that branches into the conversation that we want to have about Van Dyke, which is that you know uh, nowadays, or really at, at any given point in time, a player's value that they go for in the market is never solely based on their ability. It's based on the circumstances that the club is in. It's based on you know how much we perceive that club to need said player. And I think that's a, maybe that's an element of this transfer that is a, is goes into that um, manipulation that I was talking about before, which is maybe FSG or Liverpool don't want people to know. They want to make their moves before people know that they have X amount of money with the Coutinho money. They want to do things their way, and Barcelona know that if they give them that advantage in the transfer market, then they're more likely to pay a higher price, suffer in some performance way, you know, a different, uh, a couple different factors can, can go into that. Certainly so. We are also learning a lot more about the way that Liverpool want to play and the way that Coutinho plays. And um, I, I think we're also seeing uh, some exceptional performances from other players as have played out in Liverpool's past two performances. The two on win over Burnley, uh, obviously, which just passed uh, Liverpool uh, being pegged back to one all. Uh, Burnley actually making a pretty good fist of it, but Liverpool dominating a lot of the game and then Burnley playing through Vokes, uh, kind of a two up top. And it was very interesting to see Liverpool struggle with that with Clavan and Lovren and Gomez, who sort of plays a right back, but more like a right centre back role for Liverpool, which is quite interesting to watch. Um, a lot of cover there. And Alexander Trent Alexander-Arnold, of course, playing very well for Liverpool more recently in bombing. Um, it, Gomez was sort of weirdly all over the place in this game. Trent Alexander-Arnold playing... Um, out on the wing, of course. It, it was a weird formation from Liverpool against Burnley, uh, and they made a they made a an interesting go of it. Uh, but ultimately, they had to rescue themselves late after Burnley equalised, uh, and Liverpool managed to get a header from Clavan in the very last minute, getting a two-one win. Uh, Klopp says he wasn't sure Liverpool deserved the win against Burnley, but he'll take it. Um, and I, I also think. Uh, managers should be allowed to reject wins in the Premier League uh, if they don't feel like they've earned it. I'd just be interested to see what the manager does. Do you think you've earned this? Yeah, I think. I wonder did. how many wins uh, Jose Mourinho would would reject. Yeah, that would actually, that's not, kind of interesting. One is how many managers out there? Like, I feel like there's that really satisfying moment where Rafa Benitez gives him. I feel like it's his little victory dance at the end of every game. He takes off his glasses, he tucks them carefully back together and then pops them in his top pocket and there's it's a really satisfying moment Chris where you sort of Rafa sort of goes yep job done and you think you've earned that Rafa Chris doesn't care uh, yeah. but still how many <laughs> managers how many managers do you think would turn it down uh, Mark Hughes never turned down a win I'd be interested to know uh, yeah I'd be interested to know what you guys think Anyway, uh, let's let's also yeah. I mean, Virgil Van Dijk, seventy-five million. Nico, not worth seventy-five. Obviously, there's a commercial side there as well. There's also the side that Liverpool need in and Bray. I disagree. You don't think so? You think he's worth seventy-five million? I just I think the price nowadays is around. 
relevant because, uh, you know, Good. with the astronomical deals, something like the Neymar deal and what will come of Mbappe and this, that, and the other, it's just, you know, the money behind football is a completely different thing than it used to be. It's not just football nowadays. It's not just money recirculating into the game. It's commercial entities, possibly even countries, political statements being made with money. So it, it's not just about that when you have those elements outside of it the price doesn't really i mean i'm not gonna say it doesn't matter and especially you know when you look at some of these deals i think as we talked about in the podcast when the neymar deal happened you know 222 million that could that could help out a country a a nation a a city whatever but um i I think you know from a footballing context the the hullabaloo that people are making about the the price is kind of a tired point. And I think that the point here is that Virgil van Dijk will make Liverpool better from an offensive standpoint because he will better them in the in their pressing actions. He'll better them in terms of possession because of a very talented ball-playing center back. And I think he's the type of aggressive center back that they need in order to come off better in the strategy that they use to create space. As to whether he's worth $75 million, I think is something that is an opinion that's entirely subjective so I think he's a really good player I think he'll fit in well at Liverpool do I think it will solve all of the defensive issues that Liverpool face no because I think a lot of their issues are systemic and Jurgen Klopp chooses to put defenders and center backs on an island because that's how he likes to create transition and the majority of the time he comes out on the on the positive end of that he's a very good manager and Liverpool are a very good team but you know as to whether it will make a huge difference I think remains to be seen yeah, certainly is an interesting one. Uh, I, I mean, he's also somewhat of a flagship signing for Liverpool. He, you would imagine, I mean, just the way they photographed him, different to the way. Are you, that, are you excited about? You excited about the signing? Yeah, I think I'm very excited. I'm excited in that I see um, the, the the side of me like I don't know. He he's going to wear the number four. You know, they they build this all right. You know, he's going to wear the number four. He looks like a cool player. He looks like the kind of guy that. And he's made all the right noises. He seems like the kind of guy who's got his lifestyle in a place where he's, you know, you want to be, you want to be that with Virgil rather than against him. Um, and you feel like he adds that element of cool to the back line that maybe Liverpool don't didn't have before. You know, every other back line has sort of had that element to it where they've had the edgy player. None of the other players in the back line seem to have that edge to them. Van Dijk seems like he's got that edge to him. And some of the best centre-back partnerships have had that edge and the call to them. You know, Maldini, Nesta, um, Vidic. Do you, do you get as excited when, when, when Liverpool sign like a defender like this? Like you're talking about the perception of Virgil van Dijk. And I think he's a defensive player to get excited about. But I mean, you know, is it the same level of excitement that you get when you sign a forward or a Mo Salah or a you know, midfielder of some sort? Yeah, no, I, I get excited over signing. I'd be even more excited. The, the best signing of any window would be if Liverpool signed Pepe Reina. Um, and that would just that would just make my window. Not because I think he's even a particularly good... I don't think he's like so much better than Mignolet, but I just think... It's the nous and the game management that Liverpool need, and it doesn't feel like I can see. You know, you see like a unit at the back, and at the moment at Liverpool, you don't see a unit. You see Joe Gomez, exceptional potential, also a very good player right now. Trent Alexander-Arnold, exceptional uh, potential, very decent player right now. 
and then in the middle you sort of think you know where's that there's that nervousness that you hope van dyke doesn't contract from the liverpool fans and the and the players around him and you hope he can make a partnership with someone like lovren because vidic wasn't the same center back without ferdinand um you know i'm trying to think of other players you don't think you don't think it'll be matip and you know and van and van dyke you think it'll be van dyke and, and They'll have to rotate that. You, you can't play those players every game, especially not with the kind of football that Liverpool play. And the in, in you know the the game you want to win, best eleven, put it out there. Uh, Matt Tip and, and Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, even ide- I mean, ideally for me over the next few years, Matt Tip. There's a rotation of a back four. Clavan is obviously then the fifth choice centre back. Um, you then go. Uh, your, your four main central defenders are obviously Van Dyke because you can't spend 75 million on a player and not play him. Uh, you you pair him up with either Matip or Gomez, and then you can pick from any of those guys. And Lovren is obviously that's a tricky one for Lovren. I'd be interested to see what Van Dyke and Lovren do. Surely you're interested to see what Van Dyke and Lovren do. No. Yeah, very much. Yeah. They should. They should let all the listeners should let us know what is your preferred Liverpool centre back combination. For me, I think right now, immediate future, Matip and Van Dijk, and then for the future, Gomez and Gomez and Van Dijk. Gomez. I mean, Gomez is just. I just want to be Joe Gomez's friend. Do you know what I mean? What you want seems, is seems this. like a nice guy. What, yeah, and what you want is a centre-back or a defender that you look at and you think, I can go for a drink with you. Do you know what I mean? Can you go for, can you go for a drink with Van Dyke? I mean, yeah. I've never been a fan of it. He needs, yeah. to, he needs to let it loose, like let it go. Let, have, let whatever curly hair he has just poof into an afro. I think. Uh, or whatever he can cultivate it into. It might not. That, maybe that's why he ties it back, because it doesn't throw well. Maybe it just looks weird. Yeah. I'm speaking Who knows? Of what, what does Van Dyke's um, hair actually look like? Uh, it looks like that, Nico. Uh, respect how it looks because I'm going for a drink with him next week. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, do you not see that? I think though, from all four Liverpool centre five Liverpool centre backs, you would get a different kind of drink. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't say particularly. I've wanted to. What, go would, for you, a what drink. would you get with Van Dyke? I think. I think I'm with Matip, it'd be something like exotic. Yeah, you know no. I mean? So Matt, Matip, I'm going, I'm going out with him, and I'm, I, I get the feeling Joel Matip's the kind of guy who goes, "Do you know any good bars around here?" Uh, <laughs> and you sort of go, "Yeah." And then when you get to the bar, he's like, "Yeah, I'll have a um, uh, what would Joel Matip drink?" Uh, I, like I think the most fun center back to drink with out of those out of the selection would be Ragnar Klavan. I feel like yeah. a night out with him would just in, insane. Yeah, he, because he'd be like, yeah, let's let's much, get much like the... his play. It would just be really unpredictable, and who knows? It could be good, it could be bad. You don't know, but it's going to be exciting. Either way, the, you the... know, there's going to be an element of let's drink this incredibly strong spirit and see where it takes us. Exactly. exactly. You know what That's what you want out of a center back. In That's a way, but then uh, yeah, I, I kind of I realized this late on is that actually. I don't really want to go for a drink with Nemanja Vidic. Um, Definitely not. He'd be kicking people. He'd be yeah. hurting people. He came from Serbia. He's going to murder you. 
uh, is the line, uh, an incredibly insensitive and uh, stupid line, uh, shove it up your ass. Um, and that's not just because it's said at Manchester United, it's because it's upsetting to a nation of people. Um, yeah, the Cosmans and others around them, but particularly Cosman people who were murdered by Sir. Um, anyway, uh, Brewster, of course, at Liverpool, Nico and Chris indeed uh, made, did, and Chris, actually, I'll come to you over this one because you've written a lot of personal articles with a lot of football players. And I'm not comparing this article to those, but you have written a lot of very personal articles. Brewster um, gave a very illuminating interview, uh, a very honest and frank interview about the racism and um, some of the racist incidents which have happened to him in the past and how that made him feel and it was really interesting um it was really interesting to daniel taylor in the guardian and especially considering liverpool's history of handling racial incidents more recently uh, when it comes down to um you know suarez and what happened there with patrice everett the t-shirts the way that uh, doug leash spoke by the way the club the club spoke about it it, it seemed um, it seemed very, very balanced. Uh, a young man with a, a lot of quite insightful things to say, and like it's good to see Klopp putting his weight behind such a young man coming out and speaking in such a way as well. Most definitely, yeah. Um, I, I think at the same time it was very depressing to um, read that someone so young is suffering from that because I think you you almost hope that it hadn't seeped into the the lower reaches of the game in terms of the, the etc. Um, I think to be to be willing to speak about that at all is very courageous. To do so on the record like that um, is someone that is clearly showing tremendous courage and a, a willingness to I think take the issue by both hands, which is is very commendable because it would be easy to just keep quiet. Um, and I know a number of players who have been racially abused in one way or another that choose the quieter option because it provides them a peaceful life as a consequence. Um, and I think Daniel Taylor, who is a fantastic journalist, makes the very valid point that we have to do more now to stop this um, because it sh- it should not be anywhere near the football pitch in any guys least of all a player who again is still a boy is still you know becoming an man, adult yeah. this shouldn't be how their their football experience is characterized um and i and i hope that it does spark something yeah me too actually uh, and incredibly depressing read as well um and in many ways i also hope that people acknowledge what's happened in the past of football as well i think it's very easy to uh, think, you know, our clubs doing positive things now. I still don't think that Liverpool have really acknowledged to the fullest extent the damage that was done. I think uh, by the club at the time, and I, I, maybe even I wasn't uh, as clear as I should have been at that time as a football fan on backing Suarez or any of those sorts of things. Because I think, yeah, I was a lot younger, and not a lot younger. I was a lot more naive certainly at that time in the way that I covered it. Um, anyway, uh, let's let's move on uh, from that uh, great read, by the way, and a fantastic article in the first place. Um, there are other things, though, Nico, in the world of football that happened, and one of those 
is Man City. Uh, frustrated, it's fair to say. They did happen. Man City have happened. Uh, frustrated uh, by their some of their results over the last uh, over the last Christmas period. Now they play Watford next. Do you anticipate that now that Rafa has shown them up for the frauds that they are, and then Roy Hodgson has also shown them up as incredible frauds, more teams will be doing things like this? Yeah, obviously, you know, they've, they've dropped a ton of points this season, especially over the Christmas period. Um, and, you know, who, who knows what will happen next? No, I think, I, you know, I, I think this is the point of the podcast where I become a, a crotchety old man um, and complain about the, the, the frequency of the, the games over the Christmas period. Um, because, you know, the, 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 the injuries to both players, De Bruyne's, Supposedly not so serious. Uh, Jesus, I think, is uh, going to be a, a tough one because from what I have heard and from what I have seen, it is a, uh, an interior cruciate ligament um, tear or rupture or whatever um, you want to call it. And th- those things are serious. And those things can actually turn into reoccurring injuries. Um, so hopefully the, the Manchester City medical team can have better luck with that than they had, obviously, with Fence Company, who... Face has faced you know a frustrating spell in the sidelines for a couple of years now. It was, in, it was really sad to see because I think you know as a as a Manchester City icon um, and as you know a, a living legend at the club, him being taken off the other day after just 15 minutes, um, you know he punched the the, uh, the the what is it the the seat that the players sit in um, when they're waiting to be substituted on or off, and you know he was really frustrated. And I think man, like I said, this. Uh, like I said before, the winter period started. This this time is going to be the uh, the defining moment for Manchester City season, and I think the the more injuries that they have to deal with, the, obviously, the more difficult that's going to become. Um, and with the the frequency of fixtures and maybe the lack of able rotation, because David Silva has been out with some personal issues. Supposedly, it's because he's just or his wife has just delivered a child, and he wanted to spend um, at least the first few days or the first few weeks his newborn's life uh you know very close to the family and not necessarily playing right. football and i think pep cardiel yeah um yeah he's not committed to the club in any way nico this is where you see <laughs> well they, he he wants a january move oh clearly clearly wants a january move clearly disrespectful um to the club no i no pep cardiel has come out and said that he's very supportive of that and fo- he, he even said in the press conference things are much more or personal life is much more important than football and it's important to have those priorities set um wow. so with He's that got lack such double rotation, standards i hate him <laughs> with that lack of rotation you know kevin de has seen a lot of minutes and the challenge just a couple of weeks ago um from delhi alley um it's amazing to see that he wasn't injured in that and then a couple tough challenges in in a congested um, period of fixtures later, and, and he might be dealing with it with a niggling injury going um, into the second part of the season, and that's something you, that you don't want to see. So I think, what will I what? Well, I mean, just, just to cut you off, because I knew where that sentence was going. Do you at all uh, get a little bit angry? Because I, I was quite angry watching the Crystal Palace Man City game when some of the Man City players go down who are not English, and this isn't a Brexit thing, but it sounds a little bit like a Brexit thing. Who are not English? Gabriel Jesus being the example the referee waved him to get up and it, it was clearly a distressing situation. Um, I can't right. remember which Crystal Palace player it was. It might have been Scott Dan went down. Referee stopped the game instantly. This guy must be injured because he's honest. His defender is a big guy. Do you think there's a problem there? 
Yeah, and I, I get what you're saying because I think there is, and we've talked about it before, the, the the reputation that Guardiola sides have garnered in the past. And I, I forget which team. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was Burnley the other day that I was watching. They make a number of tactical fouls, and they were doing that to Liverpool the other day. But they haven't garnered the reputation of, you know, this niggly little team that will, you know, foul you in different ways to slow the game down because they're Burnley and they, you know, they they are the the sweethearts of the Premier League right now. But Guardiola teams have garnered that reputation of doing certain things in a certain way, and you know, I I, I think. The, the point that I want to echo is the same one that Guardiola made in the press conference, which, which isn't just, you know, per, it's not just the referee's job to protect the best players like Kevin De Bruyne or, you know, Sergio Aguero. It's to protect all the players. So you got to do that. You have to treat each and every player the same. And all of these guys, that this is their livelihood. And if, if they if they go down to the injury and they're not able to play anymore, then, you know, obviously they're in difficult, different financial positions to um, to other players that are maybe in a lesser league, so money is less of an issue. Um, but you want to see everybody's career seen out to the to the nth degree, and and it's important for referees to have that in mind and not to have these biases and these media narratives play into their decisions. Certainly, so uh, you definitely hope, in the same way a jury almost uh, acts, that it it doesn't have the same issue. Um, referees, though. Some of them do like being at the very center of the game. I'm sure there's some more stuff you guys would love to hear us talk about. And we'll be doing lots more podcasts in the coming uh, days. Obviously, there's another round of fixtures uh, to come. We've not seen Man City play their second game against Watford. That one will be fascinating. Uh, Chris, in, Mil- in Italy, uh, things have taken an interesting turn as Milan win 1-0 against Inter. Obviously, a local derby, but also the perception of both sides right now is that Inter on the up, Milan somewhat on the down or stuck in a rut, if you will, even though uh, they had the investment and they've become, uh, you know, a, a better side than they were last season. In an even more interesting term is Donnarumma's brother starring in this game uh, as Milan win in the Coppa Italia. Um, it's, it's interesting because obviously just a couple of weeks ago, Donnarumma was called a parasite. Uh, the fans said that his brother was bought purely for the fact that he's Donnarumma's brother, but then Donnarumma's brother has a great performance. What now? In part to the fact that they are from a rather uh, embarrassing on goal. Um, <laughs> Milan to me is in, in in a very curious place because it just seems like such a, a whirlwind of uncertainty ambiguity starting with the owners um, and their financial situation uh, I think look the, any chance that they have to be Inter is one that um, they will relish because it means so much to them but I have genuine concerns about um, them in terms of what they achieve this season I think you you look at the fact that Gattuso has come in has been quite self-deprecating about himself more than anything um, does not paint them in the, the most stable of conditions. They're, they're also down around 11th in, in Serie A, which, again, some 20, I think it's 20, 23 points off Napoli who are top. Um, even if you were to put it sort of in the Champions League places, that third place with Inter, where Inter are fourth with Roma, you're looking at, again, another 12, 13 point gap. So it's, it's to me, it's insurmountable this season. And that is a little bit behind schedule, I would argue, for this team because they did spend a lot. I know it was broken up in very clever ways and, and deals like Frank Kessie don't actually cost them money until 
um, he signs permanently. It's all these buy obligation to to buy type deals. Um, it, it doesn't change the fact that you know they need to be in a better financial position, and unfortunately, that's just not going to be the case with with this season going the way it's going. Mm. Certainly, an interesting one. Uh, let's see where the season goes. Oh, guys, it's been good to see you in the new year. Hopefully, we'll get Adam and Dave on this podcast again sometime uh, soon. Anything you think we've missed before we before we leave this week? The reemergence of Juventus as the I think they're joint top of Serie yeah, A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one cares. And they were marched to the title soon enough. My opinion. You really think they'll keep going ahead of Napoli or Inter? Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Not Inter's got no shot. Inter's got no shot. Sorry. Mm, okay. I'll uh, let us know who you think's going to win the uh, well, the Coppa Italia first of all, and also Syria. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope they don't march to it. Yeah, I feel like head and heart are disagreeing. I hope they don't march to it. I really. Again, I think every season. What, what's your What's your heart saying, and what's your head saying? Well, obviously, my heart says it wants it to be Napoli at some point because I want to see someone break that. But um, you're you're a Forza Juve forever. Uh, I don't understand where you've got that perception from. Um, it's it's interesting. We will we'll see. I, I guess the point is that every season this happens now in Syria. Someone challenges. Someone says I can challenge uh, Juventus. And ultimately, Allegri is proved right when he ultimately says we'll march on to the title and it's not about... And there's something beautiful about that. And I think that's what I'm going to explore in my latest piece of writing, which is, you know, people look at these, as you're saying, these consistent title-winning teams, these Bayern Munichs, these Juventuses, as like, you know, they're just asleep at the wheel, kind of buying up the whole league and it doesn't really take a whole lot of work. The things that Allegri has done, especially when you compare that to the things that the previous manager, Antonio Conte, couldn't do at Juventus are exceptional. And I'll be highlighting that soon enough. So if you want to read that, so, yeah. follow me on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter. Good. At Nico underscore Morales. Oh, Morales. You always oh. mess that up. It's all right. <laughs> I, uh, you'll see it in the description for the podcast anyway. Go take a look at it. It's been great to have you guys today. Uh, Chris, what can people go and read from you this week? Nothing, unfortunately. I haven't got anything in the, the chamber as yet, but soon I will. Uh, good. Um, he writes in a chamber, by the way. That's the important thing you all need to understand. Chris lives in a small castle just outside Newcastle. Hence why he lives near Newcastle. In a... Anyway, um, I live in London. Uh, anyway, let's stop this now. Uh, it's been good to have you guys this week. We will chat to you in just a couple of days because we're reviewing yet more games. Uh, there's four games in 10 days for a couple of these teams. So we will have a lot to talk about. It's a brand new year and it's the same consistency from the front three, I think you'll find. But uh, we hope that you enjoy it. If you've got anything you want to hear us add to the podcast this year, maybe you want to hear us talk more about your team. Maybe you want to hear us talk about another league a little bit more. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. And we can turn around a lot more consistent content uh, as it comes into the new year. As Dave gets his line sorted and his bins burned less and Boltwood um, stops going to have so many bloody meals. Uh, Chris, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, you can find him at K Hennage on Twitter. It's an excellent tweeter in the first place. And he also often tweets from the Front 3 account. 
um, often fooling people as to who it is tweeting. And of course, uh, Nico, people can find you on uh, Twitter, Nico underscore O Morales. There you go. You did it right. The underscore. Why just do the underscore? Well, it used to be something else, and then I met with Chris a couple of years ago, and he says you need to you need to professionalize your Twitter account. And I said okay, so I just made it Nico underscore O Morales, and O is my the first first letter of my uh, of my middle name. What is it? What what was it before? My middle name is Ophelio. So. Wow, where did that? Do my headphones have enough battery in them? Yes, they do. Go ahead. Say my whole name, or explain what my. No, I, name I didn't think it would take five from. minutes for you to say your name. <laughs> I just mean, why is that your middle name? Uh, that's my father's name, and it's generally a, a, a Latin tradition to to take your, on your father's name as your middle name. So it's Nicolas Ophelio Morales. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, still, that understand the underscore, but fair enough. Uh, take the underscore out, and you're almost there. I'll, I'll work on that. Okay. Um, it's been good to have you. Uh, we will see you guys again real soon right here on the front three where we love uh, chatting to you. Uh, let us know on Twitter what you'd love to hear us cover in the next few days. Say happy new year on there. Hashtag I am the whole. And the best comments over the next few weeks will uh, get their own Ferrero Rocher. Classic. See you again soon right here on TF3. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 